0: Hello, and welcome to Independent Thinking, the weekly podcast from Chatham House. I'm Bronwyn Maddox, the director. We're back after a short break. And what a year it is that lies ahead. 2024 has been called the year of elections, more than 2 billion people going to the polls in more than 50 countries. And this week, we're going to be looking at one such vote in one of the world's most sensitive geopolitical flashpoints, that is Taiwan. This weekend, Taiwan goes to the polls with the pro-independence Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, currently the front-runner, and we're going to talk about what's at stake in these elections for those living there, but also beyond the island too. We're going to talk about whether this demonstration of democracy is likely to trigger more aggression from China, which claims Taiwan as part of its territory, and what role the US and other countries play in all these calculations. We're starting 2024 with some terrific guests. Joining me down the line from Taipei is Swedish journalist Yaya Olsson. Welcome. Thank you very much. Also from Nottingham, a bit closer to Chatham House's headquarters, is Dr. Chunyi Li. She is the director of the Taiwan Research Hub at the University of Nottingham. Welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you.
0: And in the Chatham House studio is Ben Bland, the director of our Asia-Pacific program. Welcome, Ben.
2: Thanks, Brom, great to be with you again.
0: Great to have you here. Well, let's start off with this first question of why Taiwan's election result matters so much, obviously to Taiwan, but also to the world. Ben, I wondered if you could start us off with the basics of who is running in the election and what are the positions of the candidates?
2: Thanks, Bronwyn. So there are three candidates. It's a three horse race, which is quite rare in Taiwan to have a competitive three horse race and makes the race quite unpredictable. Um, under Taiwan law, you're not actually allowed to discuss the specifics of polling and 10 days out from the election. But the frontrunner before that period uh, was Lai ching Da, who's the current vice president from the ruling Democratic Progressive Party. Um, he's going up against Hoyo Yi uh, from the Kuomintang, which was the kind of longtime ruling single party ruler of Taiwan. And then there's a third insurgent new party, the Taiwan's, Taiwan People's Party, uh, led by a former doctor called Koen Je. Um, people often talk about the DPP as being sort of pro-independence and the other parties having a a different stance. But in my perspective, looking at it from afar, actually all three um, main candidates say that they want Taiwan's future to be decided by Taiwan's 23 million people on a democratic basis. They all say they want to maintain the, the de facto independence that Taiwan has, whatever they call it. And they all say that they want Um, to invest more in defence so that Taiwan can deter any threats from China. But there are differences in how they say they would approach uh, Beijing. And I'm sure that uh, Drea and uh, Chunyi can speak to that in more detail.
0: Chunyi, what do you make of that particular point of whether there are really significant differences
1: in their attitude to China? Well, this is a good question and point. Supposedly, DPP's position should be more far away from China than the KMT, as the KMT was more of a pro-China party from history. TPP is a new party. We don't know exactly what's their position. They have been possibly to run the joint ticket with the KMT at the end of November, but they didn't actually come into a joint ticket. So in that sense, Both KMT, let's say, both KMT and DPP so far have been expressed that they want Taiwan's future to be designed by the Taiwanese people and not to be influenced by China. And I think it is clear for the DPP, the current governing party, to say so. But it is a little bit struggling or difficult for the KMT to express such a position because of the baggage that KMT used to have. So I think KMT was trying to reform itself or trying to clean their image to be the close friend with China, but not really successful because we don't know exactly whether they are or they are not close to China. But we're clear that DPP is very clearly wanted to be cut off from the Chinese inference.
0: Fascinating, as you both describe it, some clear points there, but also some points of mystery about what is the central question of this. You're, you're, you're in Taipei. What are people feeling about this? How are they discussing this election?
3: Yes, I think an important difference here between DPP and KMT is that the DPP is promoting a Taiwanese identity, whereas KMT is promoting a Chinese identity. And that is something that has become very important in this election as the threat from China is is increasing. So, of course, the big election issue is the cross strait relation. And uh, here we have something called 1992 Consensus, which was a consensus made by KMT and the Chinese Communist Party, so they could start economic cooperation in the early 90s. And this consensus says that China and Taiwan is part of the same nation with different interpretations, but uh, DPP. In the past eight years, when they had power, they don't acknowledge this consensus. Whereas KMT do acknowledge it, and they would acknowledge it again if they retook the power. So it really has become a question of not only Chinese threat towards Taiwan, but also are you promoting a uh, Chinese or Taiwanese identity? Do you feel Chinese, Taiwanese, or both? And then, of course, we have TPP, who tries to be in the middle. Uh, who tries to be, well, above this ideologic uh, fighting of the two other parties. And uh, they say that they want to be more pragmatic in the cross rate relations, but it's really hard to to kind of define what they really want. Uh, so they just try to basically, it feels like they want to avoid talking cross-grade relations and focus on, on domestic issues. But the feeling on the ground, to sum it up, is that uh, China, again, in the past uh, week or so, has really become again the most important issue of this election.
0: So, Ben, can you tease out for us how much this matters? This election. I mean, uh, every Taiwan election comes with a kind of focus on these issues, quite a bit of tension around it. But how much does this one matter?
2: Well, I think there are, there, to me, there are three main reasons why it, why it matters. I mean, first, we shouldn't forget it matters to the 23 million people who live in Taiwan. And that's often overlooked when we talk about Taiwan. But yeah, you know, it's a it's a growing economy, it's a high tech economy. Yeah, you know, if it was acknowledged as a as a full country by by the rest of the world, it would almost be on the edge of being in the G twenty. So it's a significant country. Um so I think it matters to Taiwanese people. I think secondly it matters as a democratic success story for the most part, because I think whatever you say about the three candidates, it's highly likely that the result will be accepted uh, by the losers and losers' consent has not necessarily been the norm in much bigger democracies in other parts of the world. Um, So I think it's really a success story of democratic transition. This will be the eighth uh, presidential election and Taiwan has moved from being an authoritarian state led by the KMT to being a competitive multi-party democracy. I think we shouldn't overlook that. But of course, the, the last point, which is the one that everyone talks about, is the geopolitics of it all. Um, and I think there will be um, you know, significant implications depending on which candidate is chosen. I think China will increase the pressure on Taiwan, whoever wins, to be clear, but the pressure will likely take different forms If it's the DPP, it's likely to be more of the kind of military-style coercion, uh, more tests of missiles that fly over or near Taiwan, more flights by military aircraft around Taiwan. I think if it's going to be potentially the TPP or KMT, you're going to see political pressure to enter some sort of talks with China on probably an unequal basis that is designed to undermine uh, the autonomy, the self-government that Taiwan has. And that does have implications given... You know Taiwan's linkages, both to China, obviously as a, a main point of threat, and the U.S. as you know an unclear defender of Taiwan with you know commitments to provide means of self-defense to Taiwan. We don't know what that means in practice, but obviously it sits uh, at the heart of this you know growing tension between the U.S. Uh, and China.
0: It's really interesting the way you put it that the status quo probably doesn't persist in a sense that China, China will react in some way. Uh, either by pushing for closer links or with more uh, demonstrations of aggression, what what have they mean? Chunyi, is is that how you see it? That this really is something of a turning, not not quite turning point, but a a development. We're going to have a change, depending on how who wins and how China chooses to react to that.
1: We were going to have a change, but I don't really think that this will change. So the change is as Ben indicated that it might be China's reaction towards different winners who enter the presidential office. DPP may have more militant reaction. I would also suggest that China threatened Taiwan. If DPP came into the presidential office, they were cut off the ECFA. So both military and economic coercion, that is more obvious. Uh, if a KMT or TPP entered the presidential office, maybe less likely. But as a whole, I still think that the status quo maintained for the reason that it is just a slightly different reaction towards the next presidential office holders, but it still maintains the status quo, which is different interpretation of one China in that sense. So, I don't really think that it would have a really major difference, like military in, invention towards Taiwan, if DPP candidates came into the presidential office. For the reason that, let's the third reason Ben just mentioned the geopolitical dynamic, it doesn't really look very favorable if China intended to take any military invention on Taiwan for the uh, global geopolitical dynamic at this stage. And I think Xi Jinping and his Politburo has been calculating, has been thinking about that, but they felt that it's not probably not the right time, both internationally and domestically with their domestic pressures and crisis, as, as far as we can observe from afar. So my answer would be, it is a general status quo, but it will be a minor change of uh, different candidates entering the presidential offices.
2: If I could just come in on this question, because I think it's an important one. If we take a step back, if we talk about the status quo as Taiwan maintaining autonomy, self-government, de facto independence, that's one thing. But we shouldn't confuse that for the situation being static, because Taiwan is changing. As Julia said, this sense of a separate identity in Taiwan has really been consolidated and cohering, and that's connected to the democracy. China is changing, becoming more assertive, even aggressive under Xi Jinping. And the relationship between the U.S. and China, U.S. and Taiwan, Europe and Taiwan is changing too. So while there's the status quo in terms of the the kind of system of governance, actually so much is changing around that. And so there isn't some sort of Taiwan we can preserve in aspic uh, because everything is changing on all different sides of this very complex problem.
0: That is a much better way of putting it than I did. Uh, uh, Not static. And all all of this is changing. But it sounds like the two of you agree that you think that China at this point is not Contemplating a military action against uh, Taiwan uh, or real invasion or something. Ben, this is a line I think you've taken for a long time even if the DPP wins. Is that right, Ben?
2: And as much as yeah, we can ever, ever know, and even in democracies, people don't usually start wars for rational reasons, because you wouldn't start a war in most cases. But yeah, as far as we can tell, and not least now, we know that the, the PLA, the Chinese military has a lot of corruption and other issues. So yeah, I don't think many people, uh, even you know, in the Pentagon, who look at these things very closely would expect a hard military response to a DPP um, election win. That's not something that most people are thinking about.
1: It will make Taiwan's international space more difficult, for sure, if DPP wins. But we don't expect that would be a hard military attack. I would say only, I think they are contemplating, they are considering. But when they would make a move, probably not now. So they're still always thinking to take Taiwan. There's always a possibility for the CCP to take Taiwan with military force and never drop that line. But when is the time? We don't think it will be the time for the next uh, presidential election's outcome to come out.
0: yo, what's the reaction in Taiwan to this kind of calculation which everyone must have in their mind, you know, a lot of the time? Two different visions of uh, uh, of the future: one uh, working towards uh, more closeness with China, one having to deal with possibly quite a lot of obstruction in the seas around, making Taiwan's life much more difficult. As Chen Yi was just just saying, uh, with at uh, the, the end of that, conceivably a military invasion. How how do people deal with this in 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 making their decisions of their daily lives?
3: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, this election has uh, been framed by the opposition as an election between war and peace, meaning that if DPP continue to rule, uh, the risk for a Chinese attack is increasing. And then the government, the DPP, they have been framing it as an election between democracy and authoritarianism. And that means that it's dangerous to move closer to China in a time when China's claims on Taiwan is uh, becoming increasingly Aggressive. And I think most people here would also look at it in a kind of short and long term perspective. So, what happens most likely if KMT takes the power? They will restart the dialogue with China because they will agree on the 1992 consensus. So, that means in the short term, you will have less military threats, uh, less uh, fighter jets in Taiwan's air identification zone. But in the long term, a lot of people are worried that. Taiwan's democratic rights would be hollowed out, just as was the case in Hong Kong. Because last election, which I was also here covering, Hong Kong became a big issue because you could see that the, the Hong Kong uh, democracy movement was being crushed, the protest there were, was being crushed at the same time as Taiwan had an election. And then, if you see in, in the long run, so that means that uh, if uh, DPP continues to rule uh, in the short term, you will have more military tension and the dialogue with China will not be reopened. But at the same time, many people would see it as a kind of uh, guarantee, if you will, that uh, Chinese influence will not do the same to Taiwan, what happened to, to Hong Kong. And then just to add to this point how people are thinking about this issue, uh, people are actually here quite used to, to uh, Chinese threats. So they don't really see It's nothing that you think about during your daily life. But uh, something really interesting happened here just two days ago when I was in a press conference with Foreign Minister Joseph Wu. There was uh, a warning message on everyone's phones uh, saying that the Chinese missile was being launched over Taiwan. And then it turned out that this warning message was mistranslated. It was actually only debris from a rocket that was carrying a satellite. But because it was mistranslated during a press conference, it got a lot of attention from all the journalists there. And this actually also become quite big national news. And this, that's a reminder of that the China issue is always in the background. And then we have also seen in the past week or so, there has been tens of balloons, air balloons, Chinese uh, air balloons, like the one you had over continental US last winter, has been flying also over Taiwan. And that is also a new situation.
0: These are thought to be spy balloons.
3: Spy balloons. Uh, these,
0: are not, these, are, these are not little party balloons
1: for children. They say it's weather balloons.
3: Yeah, weather balloons, exactly. They are so used to uh, Chinese jets in the vicinity, in the air identification zone. So China now, before the before the election, they have to try some new methods to uh, to influence the, the outcome.
0: Chun Yi, how are younger Taiwanese regarding all this? I'm thinking of reports yeah. that you... Read every now and then, a lot of younger Taiwanese, oh, not our problem, going to study in China, being, uh, being, being uh, curious about it, um,
1: less bothered by all this. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to also say that, um, you know, it is interesting to see that um, Taiwanese voters knew that probably vote for the DPP or not vote for the KMT would result in a more hardship situation. However, it seems not decrease their support to the DPP or to a party which is far away from China. And this is also coming back to your point, Bernie, that the younger generation, I mean, they are a generation suffered from not able to afford their houses, no matter how hard they work, because their monthly salary is just so little. And they are suffered also endures this kind of high inflation. And yet, I think they wanted to have more of their own identity, more of their own sovereignty, in a sense not to be absorbed by the Chinese orbits uh, in many ways. And I think this is interesting phenomenon to see. I mean, in the past or in the 2020 election, Han Guo yu or their campaign was using the economic incentive to be closer to China to attract votes. That worked. To the point, I think either Bang or Zhou was mentioned about tonight, 2019, The Hong Kong crash down the national security law. Taiwanese voters saw there would be a very harsh or very bleak future. They don't want it to end up like Hong Kong. And it suddenly changed the dynamic of the votes. And Tsai Ing-wen, the current president, uh, four years ago won a landscape victory because of that kind of the change. So I was just thinking that it's brave, if you like, I put it in this way, for the Taiwanese voters, especially the younger generation. They knew that they're going to endure more hardship economic-wise and probably the missile throwing across the Taiwan Straits, balloons, tons of balloons. And yet they are not really wanting to be closer to China. So I, I think that is a point that is interesting to be observed.
0: It's a really important point. I wonder... In an odd way, Ben, if you could pick this this up and just take us into our second question, the wider question of tension in the region, how other countries, South like Korea, Japan, are looking at these elections, but also the question of Chinese assertiveness in the uh, the seas uh, around all these countries and what we should make of China's undeniable assertiveness, how worried everyone should be. What,
2: what always surprises me is how you know, many countries in Asia just bury their head in the sand, to be honest, on Taiwan. I mean, I think the the PRC um, has done a really good job of uh, persuading other countries that it's too risky to talk about Taiwan, to even think about it. So if you look across the region, you'd probably think Australia is watching it quite closely. Obviously, Japan, I mean, their nearest island, Yonaguni, is just 70 miles off of Taiwan. Um, South Korea, a bit. Singapore, because uh, of some of their historic links um, and, and cultural links and the like. I mean, much of the rest of the region is just, trying to ignore it, look the other way, even though there are hundreds of thousands of Southeast Asians, for example, from Vietnam, Indonesia, Cambodia, living, working in Taiwan. But I think governments and and others, even civil society, feel it's just too toxic, uh, too risky to say anything or think anything about Taiwan because the Chinese embassy uh, will be on the phone or calling you in. So it clearly does have massive implications for security, uh, for democracy, for the future of the region. Um, But I think, yeah, for much of the region, apart from those countries I mentioned at the start, they would just sort of look at it as a, an idiosyncratic case. Um, they basically accept China's claim largely um, that Taiwan is part of China. And so they see it as a sort of sovereignty question rather than a regional security question. I mean, I think they're wrong in that. Uh, but I can understand why developing countries with lots of other challenges and big economic relationships with China choose to look the other way.
0: Chen, you're, you're nodding as Ben was talking. Do you agree with that? Um, and, and, and with a point that perhaps they're wrong to... Ignore China's assertiveness and just
1: make this treat this as a one-off case. I do, and in many cases, that I realize that the countries dislike or against or hostile to China or discontent with China does not necessarily translate it to their support to Taiwan. This is cross the global country, I would say. Uh, so not just Southeast Asia countries, but globally in many ways. And I I wonder, this is a question I wonder why, and I couldn't really get to the answer. So countries, for instance, like um, Ben just mentioned, Southeast Asia country, but uh, in my understanding, actually Vietnam was pretty much against China due to the South China Sea situation, but they don't necessarily want to touch this hot water or hot potato, if you like, of Taiwan. And I don't really quite get into the understanding why, Again, I can't blame any countries why they don't do this. I feel that it must be having their own national interest and consideration. What I can say is, I can see very clearly their discontent with China and their support to Taiwan do not match. And what can we draw from there is the support for Taiwan monks little to any country's national interest. Because if you think from their perspective, why would they support little island of Taiwan, which is, from my perspective, said, from a scholar's perspective, understood because that is their national interest. This is not right. I totally agree, but it's a very cruel reality. And I think that I just wanted to point this out that this is the case.
0: when you're within Taiwan, that sense of other countries not really being prepared to defend it, even close neighbors does that feel very isolated or is it covered up by a veneer of diplomacy and professions of support
3: yeah well the taiwanese government is always very careful to underline that it's our own responsibility to uh, defend our country so i think even though most of the people they expect at least the united states to to come to help if there's really a chinese attack there is also signs that, especially after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, that the Taiwanese authorities and the civil society, they have started to take the question of, of defense and civil defense much, much more serious. Uh, so that's uh, for sure. But then you can also see that China's behavior in the in the region has alienated a lot of other countries. And uh, of course, the smaller countries, they don't really want to get into uh, an argument with China or with Taiwan. But when Nancy Pelosi was here, for instance, in the summer of 2022, the U.S. Representative House Speaker, there was a massive Chinese uh, military exercises as a response. And then you had a couple of Chinese missiles who landed in the Japanese uh, economic zone on the northeast of Taiwan. And that also made Japan to uh, beef up their preparedness for some kind of conflict in the region, because Japan will almost inevitably be dragged into a conflict, given that you have tens of thousands of US Marines stationed in Japan, and those bases will, will be used. And then you also have, of course, uh, AUKUS, the Defense pact between uh, Australia and US and UK, which after this was uh, agreed upon that Australia is gonna get submarines with the American and British technology. You also can hear the Australian defense minister saying that it's uh, unthinkable that Australia would not fight together with the U.S. if there was a conflict uh, over Taiwan and with China. So, sure, you can see uh, that many, many countries are actually getting in line of preparedness thanks to the alliance building we have seen from the U.S. in the past few years. But there is also uh, an understanding in Taiwan that we have to be responsible for defending our own country.
0: Ben this is a picture of, of kind of US- led alliances being formed. and um, thank you, Yoyo. I was just going to ask you about AUKUS, which Britain obviously makes a part, though I personally am been rather skeptical that Britain is in a position to contribute a lot militarily to that. But Ben, do these what weight do these alliances put on support from others in the region, Japan, South Korea, who, we, as we've been describing, might be loath personally to get involved in a, a fight over Taiwan?
2: I think it's really a case-by-case basis. I mean, given Japan's proximity um, to Taiwan, I think it's a very different case from South Korea. Also, obviously, given you know, how Japan thinks about China compared to how sort of, South Korean governments tend to think about China and the fact that they have another big China-linked problem in security problem in North Korea. So I think it really is a, a case-by-case basis. But I don't think we should be too critical of regional countries that don't say much because, to be honest, the UK doesn't say much. The European Union so much and the US position itself is ambiguous. You know, often they'll say deliberately, uh, but it but it is unclear. Um so I think it, you know, you will just have to see if there if something really bad happens, you know, you'll only find out then, you know, which alliances matter. But for Japan, it's a question of of proximity. I think, you know, for other regional partners it's proximity, but they're non-aligned, so they're not going to do anything. But I think really you only find out, you know, when. When terrible things happen. Before that it's all quite academic, and there's this sort of shadow boxing game of of deterrence and and strategic ambiguity and all, all this kind of stuff. so so it is really hard to pick.
0: The point being that China would only find out at that point as well whether these alliances counted for for, for anything. Exactly. Trinu, there's um Taiwan has been doing more, particularly at US urging to uh, build up its own defences. Can you just take us a bit into
1: what it's been doing militarily? Yes, in that sense, the military budget has been increased, George must know as well. And uh, also the um, uh, civilians' military service is increased from four months currently to a year after the new president entered the office, which will be this year, May, I think. In many ways, that is definitely important because one country needs to defend ourselves rather than relying on other countries to defend for us. So... This is important that Taiwan has had more of the awareness of training our young people to be prepared in case any bad things happen. The readiness for war, let's put very blankly, the readiness for war is increased. Awareness for war is gradually prepared among the generations or among the people in Taiwan. But one other thing I wanted to a little bit divert from this really conventional, both of the war and security. I think actually Taiwan is also doing by building their network with other countries instead of thinking of other countries, the dependence on China, for instance, as we also knew that the semiconductor Taiwan has been working hard, has been producing the number one advanced chips in the world, and Taiwan has been investing to other country the TSMC. So the core points from my perspective is if we only judge from Taiwan's readiness for war or security capacity, Taiwan would never, ever be able to compete with China. That's really clear. However, Taiwan is building. It's um, impossible to be replaced in the world through other means. And I see that is a very encouraging phenomenon for Taiwan.
0: That's a really important point. The TSMC, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, has been called the world's most important company in Taiwan, obviously trying to protect that capacity, and other countries trying to protect that capacity to get those chips. We're speaking in a, a year not just of lots of elections, but quite a lot of live wars, I'm thinking, of course, of Ukraine and Israel, Hamas in Gaza, though there have been many others in the past year and others threatening to catch light again. Do these have any bearing on the tension over Taiwan? Uh, ben, I, I wonder if you could just muse on this for a moment. China is obviously very keen to say there was no relevance at all, and each of these have different principles and no questions of sovereignty here because Taiwan is part of China and, and so on. But there's a tendency to discuss them all separately, and yet these are, these are resonant, and the attempts to solve them affect each other.
2: Yeah, most certainly. When I was in Taiwan last year, I mean, it's something I talked a lot about to different people and there were many different perspectives, especially on Russia, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Of course, as you say, there are many differences, but there are a lot of interconnections too, you know, not least the ability um, and willingness of US and US allies to sort of fund or support conflicts in different places at the same time. Just the sheer reminder that, you know, adventurist uh, invasions of other territories are, you know, still possible in our world, which is maybe something we don't like to think about. So I think there are lots of, of knock-on implications in many ways. Obviously, you know, the Chinese military and Chinese government are looking at some of the military mes- lessons they might be able to learn, albeit very different, you know, physical characteristics of Ukraine and, and Taiwan. So there are lots of factors, I guess. The other thing is just burnout among sort of publics. Uh, and the media about sort of conflicts around the world, because we don't seem to have be able to have it as human beings in our minds. Uh, as a former journalist, I can say this, uh, and our media is guilty of this too, to think about more than one conflict at the same time. So I think those are all factors that are going to play into the sort of calculus of publics, of governments, of militaries, when they're thinking about the Taiwan question.
0: I'm rush in and say, of course, Chatham House can think about many wars and conflicts and problems at the same time. But uh, Yoya, does it feel like the example of Ukraine and in a way, of the you know, destruction going on in, in Gaza, does those points, those examples of the difficulty of war, do you think that acts as a deterrence?
3: Yeah, I mean, here in uh, Taiwan, saying that uh, today Ukraine, tomorrow Taiwan, has become very, very common. Because, uh, yeah, just as uh, Ben said, uh, this is the Russian full scale invasion of Ukraine is an example that the wars can actually happen today. And there is a clear connection. Obviously, between the the war in Ukraine and Taiwan's the situation, which you can see for uh, for instance that uh, Taiwan, there are a lot of uh, weapon sales from the US has been delayed to Taiwan because the weapons are going instead to to Ukraine. And when it comes to European Union, the stocks of a lot of artillery, ammunition, and uh, other equipment is also depleted, and it will be very difficult for uh, for Taiwan to get help from from anywhere else. And uh, I also, as a journalist, I can also really say that especially in smaller European countries that uh, what happened in Ukraine and now in Gaza, it takes the light away from Taiwan's uh, situation. Uh, Many medias uh, have a hard time to uh, hold more than one foreign policy issue in the discussion at the same time. And then you have Ukraine as number one, and then you have uh, Middle East as number two, and then Taiwan is uh, going down the list at the same time as the situation is actually getting more more serious here. So, yeah, the connection is uh, very clear, and it's uh, yeah very worrying situation.
0: You put it very well. We're coming right to the end of this. So, Ben, I wondered if you could just pick up this point. Taiwan's moving down the, the list, and yet if there were, for example, Chinese real move on Taiwan, U.S. chose to intervene, a conflict between the U.S. and China is the catastrophe, the world does not. Want to contemplate and would dwarf these other things that we've been talking about. What is your assessment now, speaking in January, of the risk of that catastrophe?
2: I think, as a the, the risk of sort of invasion of, of choice uh, anytime soon seems low. But I think what you have to worry about is as this, this, you know, the reality on the ground changes, it becomes more and more obvious that the Taiwanese people will never opt uh, as far as we can tell to, you know by choice to be part of China that means if if Xi Jinping is serious about integrating and taking Taiwan it has to be through coercion that may not just be an invasion but increasing kind of the noose around Taiwan and as they do that the risk of miscalculation increases particularly at a time when US China relations are bad and they've restored some level of military to military communication but there's still not much trust there at all so it's, it's about few good options, rising tensions and growing risk of miscalculation. And that is is how many wars in the past have started, not because the leader sits there and says today is the day, but it's this circle of of sort of distrust, miscalculation, accident. And that is extremely worrying.
0: Chunyi, I'm going to give the last word to you, your assessment of that.
1: Well, I think it really depends on, again, I agree, Ben's assessment as well, but also emphasise on the Importance to look into the Taiwanese people's wellness, which we will see more after the presidential election. And it is important to see this is a democracy and has a legitimate election results, and then the war shouldn't annoy this point. Agree that China would always not abandon this idea of a military invention. However, what can we all do about that? This is the point. And I think that we should not ignore the democracy and the people's willingness. And this is an important thing that we always uphold to.
0: Well, thank you very much indeed for that. And with that, we're going to have to stop for now. But we will obviously cover in detail uh, what happens in Taiwan, and uh, even more importantly, from Chatham House's point of view, what you should make of it, what the world should make of it. So a big thank you to my guests, Chunyi Lee, Yoya Olsen, and Ben Bland. Do follow them all on Twitter. We're still not quite calling it X, not every time. The links will be in the show notes. There is so much going on at the moment, as I said at the start, elections in more than 50 countries, consequences beyond their borders, many live conflicts, including in Gaza and Ukraine, as well as new economic realities that are making real demands on leaders. Some of those leaders heading for the polls this year I'll be looking at all these challenges and setting out ways to approach them in my annual director's lecture on the 23rd of January. Do come and watch. And a reminder that you can find all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, all major platforms, as well as through our social media. So please do like, follow, and subscribe. Do leave us a review. We really love that, whatever you say. To read more from our experts or to find out more about our events, and we're just rolling out the year's fantastic program which includes my director's lecture, don't forget to visit chathamhouse.org where you can follow the work of all our programs, including our Asia-Pacific program that we have just been discussing. So that's it for this week. And until next time, goodbye from me, Ron Maddox.